It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? Welcome to another edition of the Raptors Pod Table Co- Podcast. Easy for me to say. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty. Scott, how are you doing under uh, under these new quarantine rules, my friend? Colin, I'm doing well. Staying safe, staying busy, and excited to talk about a very interesting play on the Raptors with you today. Yeah, if, uh, if you didn't read the title, this episode is all about Kyle Lowry. First and foremost, let's give Kyle Lowry a big happy birthday shout out. Happy birthday, Mr. Lowry. Uh, hope you are celebrating somewhere, eating plenty of cake, uh, doing what you do with, uh, with everyone having so much time off. But we're going to go in, uh, into a deep dive mode of one Kyle Lowry, in my opinion, the greatest Raptor of all time, and, uh, and how his game has changed. Over on NBA.com, Scott, you wrote an article about Kyle Lowry and how he's become a chameleon in the NBA uh, today and, and, and for the Raptors to be successful. And over the last couple of years, we've seen his game change dramatically and it's really impacted the success of the team. It has. We can go into to each season, and I'm sure we will, but the, just the gist of it is in 2016-17, he was a very ball-dominant point guard, a guy who generated a lot of his scoring and pick and rolls and isolation. And then basically each season since, he's, he's adjusted his game in some way, shape, or form to basically get the best out of him and the team. And, you know, everyone's going to talk about how that, that helped the Raptors win the title last year. But we're still talking about Kyle Lowry, age 34, as an, an all-star and an all-NBA kind of talent. So I think that the changes that he has made to his game over those few years not only helped him win his first championship, but also has helped extend his career. Yeah, he's uh, he has been integral, and that's the reason why I think that he has been uh, you know the, the the best Raptor of all time. I know a lot of people say Vince Carter. A lot of people uh, want to put Vince as the guy who put them on the map, but Lowry has taken that mantle away from Vince, and also Demar Derozan. Got to give Demar Derozan a shout out too, because there there was a point there where Demar was really looking like to be uh, the greatest Raptor of all time. But let's dive deep into what Kyle Lowry has meant with the team just over the last four years. As I said, you you broke it down on NBA.com, the transformation of his game. And it really started in 2016-17, uh, a season where he was going to his third All-Star game. Uh, he, he only played 60 games, but a huge impact in that season because that was one of the years where the Raptors finally kind of started making noise. And, and, and that was one of the years where they were – uh, you know, in position to, to kind of break through. Obviously, we know how it ended. LeBron James kind of knocked them out of the playoffs that season. But for Lowry individually, uh, career high in points, 22.2, uh, 22.4 rather, uh, seven assists, which at that time was a career high, uh, 1.5 steals. He was doing it all for the team. He was. Um, his primary primary way of scoring was in pick and rolls, and he was among the top the league leaders in pick and roll scoring that season, and was also among the most efficient pick and roll scorers. Uh, he, he's just he's always been great in that situation, but that was almost like peak Kyle Lowry in terms of his efficiency and how much he was scoring in those situations. And he was also generating a pretty decent amount, about eleven percent of his offense in isolation. So again, going back to what I was saying before, he was a very ball dominant guard, and that's just the way that the Raptors were built then. It, w- it was him and DeMar DeRozan running the offense. Both of them had sky-high usage ratings, and everything ran through them. But like you said, that season didn't end the way that they were expecting to. 
And the season after that is when they started to kind of modernize their offense under the guidance of Nick Nurse, who was an assistant coach under Dwayne Casey at the time. And they kind of preached more ball movement, player movement, playing with more pace, shooting more threes. And it was an adjustment for Lowry. He spoke about it during the season. But you saw his transition numbers go up that season, his pick and roll scoring go down, his isolation scoring go down. And then he started to score more off of spot-ups, off of screens, cuts and handoffs. Plays that you kind of need other players to be involved in to score off of. Um, and DeRozan gave a really good quote that year about how the team was just too reliant on him and Lowry. And they were just too predictable. So both of them, even though it was an adjustment, both of them taking kind of a step back on offense, paved the way for other guys to step up. Guys like Jonas Valanciunas that year, Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet. First of all, speaking about the 26-27 season, that was Lowry's best year and his most efficient season. He had his best PR uh, in his career still to this point in that year. So it's interesting to see that coming a lot from pick and roll and, and a lot of ISO scoring. And of course, that was DeMar DeRozan's kind of breakout party. That's his career high, 27 points per game. Uh, he was an all-star that year, made all but NBA third team that season. Um, and that was really his coming out party as, as, as one of the go-to guys on the Raptors. And, and like you said, it didn't work out for them in the end. They had a lot of quotes saying that, uh, you know, they were too, you know, dependent on just those two guys and they couldn't get it done in the playoffs. Uh, and it led to, as you said, Nick Nurse kind of putting the groundwork down for what the offense is now and what we see with the modern day Raptors and the championship Raptors. Um, so that second year, let's dig a little deeper into that second year and the first year really under Nick Nurse. It's 2017, 2018. Uh, DeMar's scoring goes down by four points per game. Uh, Kyle Lowry's scoring drops a little bit as well. Uh, and the change in the way that they kind of get their points uh, completely different. Like Lowry is only scoring 16 points per game at this point in his career, but um, and and no longer kind of going to all those those pick and rolls and isos. Right, because um, the, the the focus was trying to get other guys involved, and he he talked throughout the season again about how you know it, it was an adjustment for him having to play off ball, having to spot up more, come off of screens, score off of cuts, and things like that. Because again, like he he's been a ball dominant player for a lot of his career to that point. Um, or at least during his prime years with the Raptors because it took him a while to kind of get up to that all-star level. He, he bloomed later than a lot of point guards do. But, you know, it, it's what the team needed. They were too predictable. They had fallen short two years in a row in the playoffs. Um, didn't meet the expectations that everyone thought from them. So, so th there was a clear need for a, a change on the team. And this obviously was 12 or so months before the big DeMar Rosen-Kawhi Leonard trade. And I think it's it's interesting. We kind of still see that with teams now where it's like the Philadelphia 76ers, right? Like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, we have questions about whether or not they can fit. But the next step for them, I don't think anyone expects the Sixers to necessarily blow it up between this offseason for them. But they're going to try something new probably next season if they do fall short in the playoffs or anything like that. And then the year after that, those talks might start to heat up. And I think that's kind of the same timeline that the Raptors were on where this was like their last chance to see if they could give Larry and DeRozan, if they could make it far in the playoffs and make a postseason run. And these were the changes that they needed to do to maximize them and everyone else around them. Yeah, you talk about the ball movement. The assist percentage is something that sticks out to me from year on year. 2016, 2017, whereas more ISO, uh, they were around 47.2 assists. Uh, that's their assist percentage. And then the year after, 59 
for our assist percentage for them. Um, and their offensive rating goes up. They're up to 113. Their defensive rating uh, actually gets better. It's 105. So they, you start to see the seeds being laid into what ends up being the formula for the championship run. And a lot of people want to go out and say, well, Kawhi Leonard uh, was a big part of the championship run. He was, you know, there's still some out there that say, uh, you know, Kawhi was the only reason why the Raptors win the championship. And while he was a huge part, they they finally got a guy that they could go to in the clutch. But it was that system that was in place. And Kyle Lowry really running the show there that really created a foundation for Kawhi to come in seamlessly and and go on a championship run in the very first season. That's that's tough to do. It's not easy to do. So, um, you know, it, it's really the beginning of where we see the Raptors building that championship run. And as you said, making that decision to trade for DeMar DeRozan or trade DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard. Now, let's get to that because that is a monumental trade in itself. Uh, it's probably the greatest trade in NBA history, right? Like, it's up there in a conversation to be one of the greatest trades in NBA history, even though he stayed one year. But it turned a, a franchise that had never even made the finals into a championship caliber franchise in just 12 months. So they make the trade for Kawhi Leonard, uh, and that changes everything because Kawhi comes over. He's a guy that uh, is different than DeMar DeRozan um, in some instances, and he's more ball dominant than DeMar DeRozan, and that changed Lowry's game once again. It did. That, that season, to me, he kind of peaked as an off-ball threat. He, he scored a lot more off of spot-ups, off of screens, cuts, and handoffs. His pick-and-roll scoring was down again, as was his isolation scoring. And then we also started to see him score more in transition, which is something that Nick Nurse has been praising since he took over as head coach. He's always been a guy who's believed in pushing the pace, attacking early, uh, and Kyle Lowry, you know, there's that old saying that a point guard should be an extension of the coach. I think Kyle Lowry is a perfect example of that because he really has done exactly what nurses wanted to do. And the way that he's cha he changed his game over those two, three seasons enabled him to, to kind of take a back seat to Kawhi Leonard, but also continue playing at an all-star level. And even just on a basic level, I mean, it doesn't take a degree in rocket science to see that his points went down in his one season next to Kawhi and it just went up. Um, so, so huge credit. I don't know if he gets enough credit for really changing his game or taking as much of a step back as he did that season. And it's not just him. I mean, even guys like Steph Curry, do you know what I mean? When Kevin Durant joined that Warriors team, I feel like Steph doesn't really get enough credit for the, the, the backseat that he took to Kevin Durant right. or the sacrifices that he made to allow him to, to kind of be the player that he needed to be. And obviously, Lowry is not the player that Steph Curry is, but you know, sacrifice, making the sacrifices that he did um, did allow Kawhi Leonard to get back to that level that he was prior to his injury and ultimately lead him to a championship. I think people also leave out the fact that Kyle Lowry was okay being, he went from being either the first or second option on a team, and in two years later, being sometimes even the fourth option on the team, uh, and was okay with it, didn't really pout about it. Like, it, yes, Ka Kawhi Leonard shows up, and you got to defer to him, but all of a sudden, the emergence of Pascal Siakam changes things too, because now Kyle Lowry is sitting behind Pascal and allowing him to blossom. Like, if Kyle Lowry doesn't take a step back, do we know how good Pascal Siakam is? Probably not. So it's not just 
that he had to change his game. He really had to swallow his ego and, and put that aside to allow those two guys to be Batman and Robin. And he kind of just sat around when they, whenever they, they needed him and whenever they called upon him. And I talked about that in the first podcast we were on the feed with Gil. Uh, and, and when we were recapping the Orlando Magic series. And, you know, Lowry doesn't score a single point in game one of that game. Uh, 0 for 7 from the field. But as you said, Scott, leading into that game, the groundwork had already been put down. Like he turned away from being a scorer to now a playmaker. He went from 22 points per game down to 16, down to 14 points per game. And he was still at the all-star level. Uh, The assists went up. So he went from being a guy that said, "I'll, I'll go and get you a bucket to a guy that was okay looking for other guys to score, and I don't. I don't think you're right. I don't think he gets enough credit for what he had to do to change his entire game uh, in, in just 82 games, and that was a lot of the time without Kawhi Leonard on the floor too. And I think that's why it makes what he's doing this season so interesting because he's gone from, like you said, his scoring dropping from 22 to 16 to 14, and now he's back up to just under 20 points per game. And, and to me, you see that you know his pick and roll scoring is up a little bit compared to last season. Um, but he's scoring more points than he ever has in transition. And he has a nice balance between scoring off of spot-ups, screens, cuts, and handoffs. And I, I think this is just, this is what this the last three or four years have been building to. Like, th- this is Larry who can, and we saw this in the 11 games that Pascal Siakam missed between December and January. With him out and Marc Gasol, Kyle Lowry kind of became that number one option again. He averaged 23.3 points per game, eight assists and four rebounds in those 11 games that Siakam missed. And the Raptors only went 6-5, and five, but they were down two starters and beat some good teams like Dallas and Boston and, and took care of business against the teams that they should. And then Siakam returns, and Kyle Lowry kind of returns back to this player who can play off of you know a number one option in Siakam, uh, a guy like Fred Van Vliet who's having a career year, Marc Gasol who's one of the best passes at the center position, Serge Ibaka who's having a career year. And he's gone to a point where he seems very comfortable just kind of rot- rotating between different styles, different positions, doing whatever he really needs to do to get the most out of him and the team. And I think, you know, even beyond Siakam, it's really helped Fred Van Vliet this season too because it- it's crazy to think that the the Raptors have a starting backcourt of Larry, who's what, like six foot, and Fred Van Vliet, 5'10", but they make it work because both of them just scrap like hell. They play much bigger than their height on defense because they play physically and everything like that. But also they just play off of each other so well because if one guy doesn't have the ball, the other can spot up on the wing or run off of the screen, and then the other one can attack the basket and dish it out and everything like that. So I think really Kyle Lowry ultimately just kind of sets the tone for this Raptors team, and the way that he's changed his game has allowed everyone else to, to grow and be their best selves. And again, it, it just goes to the unselfishness that is the Raptors offense under Nick Nurse now. And uh, when we started this talking about how much ISO was really and truly played in that uh, 2016-17 season, even though it was a great year for the Toronto Raptors, a lot of ISO ball. And I go again, I go back to the assist percentage, 40 not, sorry, 47.2% uh, for for that 2016-17 season. Last year in the championship season, they're up to 60%. Uh, and this year, they're they're up to 62%. Um, and, and that just goes to show that the ball is moving. Uh, guys are getting open. Guys are unselfish. And Lowry is a big part of that. Like he's he is a guy that's not afraid to you know get rid of the rock instead of pounding it into the ground. He, he's going to move it. He's going to and he's going to cut and he's going to look for other people. So 
Um, you know, it, it, the transformation over the last four years has really been incredible. And you documented that really well on NBA.com. Uh, the play type data graph that you have is so interesting. I, I really think that uh, if you haven't seen it now, head on over to NBA.com. Go read Scott's article. Uh, it is Kyle Lowry uh, is a basketball chame- chameleon. Um, and just the four-year transformation that he's taken and his game has taken. Um, while you were writing this, while you were doing your research, what are some of the biggest things that stuck out about just the transformation that Kyle Lowry has done individually and maybe how it's impacted the rest of the team? Uh, I expected to, when, when I started putting it together, the, the play type data, I, I knew that his game was going to be different just because having watched the Raptors for the last four or five years, the DeMar DeRozan, the Kyle Lowry era and everything like that, uh, it was clear to me that Kyle Lowry had changed in some ways. I don't know if I expected it to be that stark, to be honest, like how much his pick and roll scoring has dropped and how much his scoring in transition has increased and how during those last two years, he was scoring off ball way more than than ever before. So so that was really interesting to me. And ultimately, I just I, I think it's just really helped extend his career. Um, again, going back to what DeRozan said that last season here in Toronto, he, he kind of said that the way that they were playing before was was taking a toll on them just because it literally was like every single time they came down the court, it was Lowry or DeRozan who had to make a play, whether it was running a pick and roll or scoring in isolation or, or posting up a smaller guy in DeRozan's case or anything like that. And I think when, when you think of point guards, the size of Lowry and his age, their the games tend to age pretty quickly once they enter their early to mid 30s. And, and he's proven to be an exception to that. He's already play, he's still playing at an all star and all NBA level. And I don't know how much longer he can sustain this because it's hard to believe. I don't remember the last time we saw a 35, 36, 37-year-old point guard leading a, you know one of the best offenses in the league and everything like that. But he's certainly shown that he can adapt his game to whatever the Raptors need to. So I, I, I'm pretty confident that he's still going to be a, a big, impactful player, certainly for the rest of this season and next season as long as when he's still in contract with the Raptors. Yeah, he's, he's going to be under contract next season. and They'll have the decision to make. And I'm going to ask you what you think they should do in a bit. But I found it interesting that you brought up how much of a toll it was actually taking on them to play this style. Because at the beginning of the season, a lot of people were looking at the minutes that Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet were playing. They were, they were in the first month of the season leading the league, one and two in minutes per game. Uh, and still, they're still playing a lot of minutes. Kyle Lowry at this point playing 36 minutes per game. Uh, at age 33, he just turned 34 today, and the last time he played the, these this amount of minutes was that 2016-2017 season where he was asked to do so much more offensively. You said the usage rate for him and DeMar DeRozan was sky high. It, it's not that anymore. So um, well, I remember you know writing on the site about and, and, get, and game takeaways after each Raptor game, like, Man, Kyle Lowry and, and Fred Van Vliet, they're playing a lot of minutes. The Raptors at that point were only going like six or seven deep. They didn't trust Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. They did not trust Chris Boucher. They had injuries across the board. Uh, and it wasn't until Lowry got hurt that Nick Nurse decided, okay, let's open up the rotation a little bit out of necessity. And we found out that the Raptors are a lot deeper than we thought they would be at the beginning of the year. But I, I want to go back to those minutes that were early this season. Um, and, and, and now with the way that they're playing now – do you think that that is a formula that they can sustain with those two guys, as you said, both of them are small, playing that many minutes in this style of basketball? Or, uh, you know, is, is the gas going to run out eventually? I mean, I think the gas would run out eventually, uh, whether it's, you know, next season or beyond. 
But I, I think at that point, we, we, we ultimately we don't know what Fred VanVleet is going to do this offseason because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. I would think that the Raptors would like to keep him if they can because he's always kind of seemed like the guy who's going to carry on the torch from Lowry. So maybe you have, obviously, this season you play them next to each other. Next season with Lowry still having one more year on his contract, maybe they still play alongside each other as the point guard and shooting guard. And then I would assume the year after that is when things start to change, where it's Van Vliet is now the starting point guard on this team. And maybe if Lowry is still with the Raptors, he's playing behind him. He's a sixth man, seventh man or whatever. Or he goes somewhere else and he, he tries to win a championship with another team, um, maybe signing a lower contract. The Miami Heat is one team that always jumps out to you know a potential destination for Lowry just because they're going to need a point guard and maybe they can get him on the cheap in a couple of years' time when he's a little bit older. But I mean, for now, the Lowry and Van Vliet have exceeded all expectations i feel like going into this season and as surprising as it is that you can have a winning team with two guards as small as them playing alongside each other they play off of each other so well um, and I, I think that's just a testament to the chemistry that they've developed and how smart both players are and how they're both willing to kind of just do whatever is needed for the team to win had the raptors not won the championship a year ago i think i would have been right on board with lowry going somewhere to try and win a ring but at this point he's already won one um, you know, his career really got solidified with that one championship win. And he is the greatest Raptor of all time. So I, I think that matters to him. I think that sort of legacy matters to him in the country. I could honestly see him being okay with the way that he's changed his game and how unselfish he has been, uh, you know, as throughout his Raptor career. I could honestly see him signing, uh, you know, a, a, a cap-friendly contract just to stay in Toronto and be the mentor to uh, Fred Van Vliet. And, uh, you know, and, and whoever, whatever guard they have at that time like that, that I, I could honestly see that happening. Like it, it wouldn't shock me if he becomes the third guy off the bench and plays behind uh, Fred Van Vliet. And if they still have Terrence Davis, the great Terrence Davis, uh, you know, at, at the as, as a second guard, like I, I would it would not shock me if if Lowry decided, you know what, I'm going to finish my career in Toronto. Right, be, be there Dirk Nowitzki, basically, right? Like, you, yeah. you, you win the one championship, it, it changes the narrative completely of your career, and then you're kind of just playing with house money at that point, and, you know, you, you help lead the next wave of, or the next era of Raptors basketball. Um, I, I could see that, but I, I do think, too, one of the things that I, I wrote in the piece is that he, he has, the changes that he has made in his game kind of makes him a point guard that can fit on any team, because... Every team in the league can use a point guard who can create his own offense when needed, but is also comfortable playing off ball and, and plays much bigger than his position defensively. So I think when you look at a team like the Miami Heat, who in two years' time are still going to have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, plus potentially a big free agent in 2021, maybe they go out then and are like, hey, we need a point guard. Can we get Kyle Lowry on, on relatively cheap? And that gives him an opportunity to start on a team that, that could actually win a championship. I don't know if he would be drawn to that. I don't know if Larry in two years is still going to be capable of starting on a team. But but I do think that is also a possibility. Listen, that's still that's very attractive. I mean, going down to Miami to just finish your career in Miami, period, whether or not they're a championship team or not, is, is pretty attractive. I get South Beach. I get the allure of all that. But he's a Toronto Raptor. He's going to stay there, right? Surely he's going to stay with the Toronto so. Raptors. Uh, and we'll find out next season. Um so that's the wrap on Kyle Lowry uh, and, and how he has changed his game over the last four years and what that has meant to the team. As I said, you can go and read Scott's article on NBA.com right now. It's already up there. You don't have to wait for it. Toronto Raptor guard, guard Kyle Lowry is a basketball chameleon. 
Uh, Scott did a great job of breaking that down. And also, he also did a good job of breaking down Pascal Siakam's case for all NBA. For those that haven't listened to it yet, Scott, give us a little synopsis of what you and Mike Adams talked about in that pod, which you can listen to now. It's available on our feed. Yeah, Pascal Siakam's just in a fascinating situation this season because he signed that four-year extension in the offseason, but it doesn't kick in until next season. And he has an opportunity to kind of make up the money that he didn't get from signing that fifth year that he could have by hitting some incentives that are in his contract. And those incentives are basically he makes a little bit more money if he makes All-NBA second team. He makes quite a bit more money if he makes All-NBA first team. And then he makes a lot more money if he wins MVP this season. And we can assume that he's not going to win MVP and he's not going to win All-NBA first team. But he could make All-NBA second team. And there's, there's, a, there's a lot of interesting questions um, about Anthony Davis and what position he is and if Siakam will make it if he's on the first team or second team and everything like that. And how it impacts his extension moving forward and how that could impact the Raptors down the line who are you know reportedly interested in going after Giannis in 2021 if he becomes an unrestricted free agent. And if they want to do that, how much they can pay Fred Van Vliet this offseason if they want to keep him. So... It may sound kind of trivial, like, you know, Pascal Siakam making All-NBA second team could have an impact on the Raptors, but it's actually going to be a really big deal if it does happen. Huge deal if it does happen, indeed. Um, By the way, spoiler alert for you, Scott. This is just for me and you, because you haven't read it yet. By the time the listeners hear this, the article might be out. Um, I wrote an article about All-NBA center and what you should do if you have a vote for the all-NBA center position. And Scott, I'm a Jokic guy. It has to be Jokic first team, right? I'm a Jokic guy. I'm, I'm, I am I'm. made the case for our man, Nikola Jokic. You can go ahead and read that on NBA.com if you want some non-Raptor content right now in these times of need. Uh, we all need basketball. We miss basketball. Love basketball. So there it is, Scott, with the little tease about all-NBA Pascal Siakam, what that means for the Toronto Raptors. As he said, he's not going to make the MVP, but he does have a legit chance of making an all-NBA team, be it second or third team. Uh Keep it locked right here on the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. We will have podcasts all throughout, even if there are no games. Next Tuesday, we will be dropping the recap from the epic series, the Four Bounce Series. The Raptors finally getting over the hump, making it to the conference finals, beating a very tough Philadelphia 76er team. And Scott, I don't know if you agree with me, but that was the series, in my opinion, that gave me the green light to say that this team can make the finals. I didn't think they could win it all, but I thought that they could at least make the finals. I was going to say, I thought you were going to say uh, that that made you think they could win the finals. And I, no. I was going to hit back on you on that because I remember what you were saying back then. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't give it away. We're going to talk about it on the podcast. Okay. We're on, on Tuesday. You that the podcast will drop at that point. Uh, what it was going through my head, and as as you know, Scott, I flip flop like nobody flip flops in the world. <laughs> new information becomes available. I am jumping on board with the new information. I'm not afraid to do that. Uh, so we'll talk about that on Tuesday, and we'll also have a separate pod that will be a deep dive of just Game Seven alone, the four bounce game, Game Seven. We talked about it today in our uh, in our meeting this morning about how many things happened in that game that people forget because the Kawhi Leonard shot overshadows everything. So many little tidbits happened in that game, so we'll just talk about that game specifically because I think a lot of people forget how great that game was. It was an incredible game, an all-time great, um, not only for Kawhi Leonard's shot, but 
as you said, the things that happened to it, like Jimmy Butler's layup that tied the game. Um, Alcala having wrote a great piece today about the, the best moments from that series and a lot of the things that you forget. And even the shot that Kawhi Leonard hit a few games before, I think it was game four, right? Yeah. When, the, when the Raptors were down 2-1 and he hit that step back three going to his right over Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I feel like no one talks about that shot, but that, that shot may have saved the series for the Raptors. That was a huge shot. That was on Cinco de Mayo, by the way. I remember where I was when I saw it. I remember watching it uh, on Cinco de Mayo. And uh, yeah, that is, that's a shot that saved the series. They go down yeah. 3-1. Who knows what happens? They don't, they don't win that series. They, they don't, obviously don't keep Kawhi Leonard. A lot changes about the Toronto Raptors. What an important series for the franchise. We'll break it down. Come back here on Tuesday and you'll get two episodes the full series breakdown and the four bounce game breakdown that's all we have for now for scott rafferty i am carlin gay we will see you next time right here on raptors get that garbage out of here